stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, to discuss the topic that is on everyone's lips right now, recession. (laughs) We'll just put the word out there recession. Are we in one? Is one imminent? Every few months, John and I have been covering this topic, it seems, uh, because literally, apparently, we've been heading into a recession now for years. I had to go look this up, John, to see how long ago we first started talking about it. So the podcast has been going on for a couple of years. So we have quite a history. And our first podcast on this topic was actually episode number 20. Yes, that was like three years ago, February 2016, and it was titled, this is a good title, Why There Won't Be a Recession in 2016. (laughs) (laughs) And we were right. You were were right. right. You laid it all out there. You said they were nuts. We did not have one in 2016. And then we kept talking about it, and I looked up last year to kind of see what we were doing. And in April 2018, so just one year ago, We did a podcast with the title, What All Investors Should Know About Trade Deficits and Recessions. So we didn't really, in the title at least, give away what our view was on the recession in that one. But the trade deficits were on everybody's minds and that was in there. And then we've done other ones in December of 2018 because we have to look forward into the new year. We did How to to Prepare for a Recession in 2019. I can't recall if we said, we said there wasn't one. I do remember that, but we could maybe get one. Who knows? So we talked about how to prepare for it. But here we are again discussing it because there's been some key changes, I feel, since we have started this topic. And we've always talked about looking at the data and that there will be clues in the data. And so now everybody's freaking out about the one data point, the yield curve inversion. And now everyone's like, the recession is coming within, what is it, 18 months or historically it's it's arrived after the inversion. So we must have it. But looking at the other data, John, doesn't look like the other data signaling it. So where should investors be right now? There was the panic over the inversion that seems to have passed though. And now are we just waiting for the recession (laughs) to show itself or I don't know. I mean, I was looking at some of the employment data because you've always talked about look at the employment, even though it's backward looking, it will give us the clues. And even just last week, the weekly jobless claims dropped to 202,000. That was not quite the lowest we've seen in this whole cycle. We had like, I think one under 200,000 so far. But 202 is back to the 49-year low, so those jobless claims aren't showing anything. The the layoffs, like the monthly layoffs in March, were down 21%. Then we had the good unemployment report again in terms of the unemployment rate still 3.8. All of these things on the job side are looking pretty good. And then even just today, Bank of America announcing it's going up to $17 an hour for its minimum wage. Now, it was everybody was at about 15 I believe. Now they're they're kind of, you know, stepping out and saying 17, they want to go up to $20 by 2021. And so that indicates a tight job market because no one raises wages unless they have to. So so is this overdone? Is the recession thing crazy again? 
are you going to make a call on the show today about the recession? You know, first of all, guys, I got to give Trady C the A for my best student. She's she's been my best student so far. <laughs> did I get your? Did I get it right? So like Tracy's all of your right. analysis? Okay. The basic thing is the job market is a contemporaneous indicator when we're not trying to be geniuses on this show. Right. No Wall Street geniuses. But the reason, <laughs> Tracy, is because we don't want to be Wall Street fools. Right. Wall Street fools is a topic I actually was back to the 30s in it. And this was a a, a very famous um, writer would call, pe- Jesse Livermore would call people Wall Street fools. And Wall Street fools were people who were constantly trying to time and, and target things that were very short frequencies, right? So this is the problem with recession. There's just too many people trying to time and call these in advance. Yeah. Right? Definitely. So we are not doing that. We will never do that. So there is no recession, period. There is none. We're not in one. We're not in one. <laughs> <laughs> we're like laughing, but right. people were like panicked. That right. We were no, like this is in why Trace is my best student. So we are not in one. That's it. Okay. There's That's no argument. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing today, the IMF cut the global growth forecast. Yes. So the facts on Europe, in Europe, on GDP for Italy are very, very precarious. Yeah. And there's likely a recession in Italy. So while there is absolutely no recession in the United States, there is likely, which means above 50% chance that Italy will actually have a recession, which means there'll be two negative quarters of GDP growth in a row. Yeah. And Germany is actually in a mixed bag and it also could tag a negative GDP growth number. Okay. And the negative sentiment around the krona, the Swiss franc, the euro, and the UK pound is telling me that there is genuine worry about a recession in Europe right now. So what we're seeing in the yield curve inversion, which is unique to this specific yield curve inversion, is it it is between the two-year and the five-year tenor on the treasury curve that is inverted, meaning the two to the five years at 2.4, the Fed funds rate is at 2.5, that's an inverted yield code by 10 basis points. The the 10-year today is 2.5, which is not inverted, it's flat. So the point is, something is pulling very modestly down on the two to five-year tenor. Now, what you have to know is that the European Central Bank, the ECB, is using bank loans to stimulate Europe, not the open market operations of the Fed. The Fed funds rate is done through bond market operations at the New York Fed. They actually have a desk, and they go out and buy and sell bonds and move the rates there. In Europe, there is no such centralized bond market because there is no centralized country, so they do it through loans. So what they announced in early March when they saw this growth declines and these worries build up, and they continue to build up, is they issued, they did it in 2014, they did it in 2016, they're now doing it again, what's called TLTROs, TLTROs, Targeted Long-Term Refinance Operations, TLTROs. These are four-year loans or two- to four-year loans. So since there already was a tranche in 2014 that was four years, those have played out. The 2016 ones are halfway through, so you can refinance. But basically, you can finance at negative deposit rates. You may get free money from these people. Wow. But only for four years. So it's business loans. It's not going to stimulate a housing bust or bubble, right? Because that's the 15 or 10 or 20 or 30-year loans. Yeah. So this is just getting money into the banks that get into businesses, right? 
maybe autos would be something cyclical, but probably not as much as business. But the point is, if I told you there was a major European central bank pushing down on loans between two and four years, and then I told you the United States had a modest decline in treasury yields between two and five years, what would you say, Tracy? Um, it would be normal. That was normal. They would be linked, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And that does that make any sense that if you can get free money that you wouldn't that bond rates would be depressed because demand would be less? Right. right? I would go for the free money. Yeah, you yeah. would go for the free money. You would go <laughs> not go for the for expensive sure. money. Right. Right. Tracy is another genius, See? right? I'm learning quickly. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's two dresses on this shelf. One's twenty dollars, one's fifty dollars, and Tracy buys the twenty dollar dress. Right. Guys. It's right. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I shouldn't be panicking about the inversion panic. Right. The inversion is, as far as I can tell, specific to the the increased liquidity of that tenor because people are basically taking these loans and passing out on doing the fixed income market within Europe, which is enough of the bond market that it would push down 10 basis points like it has. Because again, the version here is very modest. So what right. we're looking for is something that's very modest within those pants. Does this story make sense? Yes, yes, it does. And so the point is, we know, actually, there is a call for a recession. And it's probably right where people think it is. It's just probably in Italy, maybe Germany, and it might spread out of Europe. Now, here's the bad news. I threw out the krona, the Swiss franc, the euro, and the pound. Now, they're all showing different things. Some are safe haven, some are not. Some are under a negative rate, some are not. Some have Brexit, some are don't. But the point is, when you look at them all within the... 12 or 15 currencies, there's certainly something concerning, safe haveny about the way the currencies are ha- acting. So the problem here is if there really is a disorderly event in Europe that's financial related, which we talked about in the last episode. So the problem here is the weakness in Europe in the GDP sense is not alarming. But if the markets panic, we can get something moving. So we have to pay attention to Europe right now. Um, and basically decide for ourselves that this doesn't happen. So the problem I would say with people who are just throwing the yield curve out the window is actually it's working. It's just working in a global context and showing us where the problems are there in Europe. Okay. But could Europe obviously pull us into that, into their malaise? Yeah. Again, Tracy, where in history has that ever happened? I don't know. I can't recall one recently. Right. I can't no. either. Mm-mm. So as a good student, the answer is there isn't an example. <laughs> so <laughs> so no. it would be unprecedented. <laughs> it would be unprecedented. Yeah. So there is no precedent. Okay. Um, the Why is that? Because, again, the United States is a 330-person economy. It's a big one. Yeah. Our trade is actually quite large with Europe. But, again, trade might end up with Europe on a net basis. I would be very surprised that it's net over 5% of our GDP. So even a 10% decline here on a 5% part of our economy can't move the dial into a recession for us. If we're doing two and a half, that might take us down three, four-tenths. This is what you're seeing in, in the UK, by the way. The Brexit took GDP already from 1.8 to 1.4. So there was a four-tenths move down in yeah. Europe, uh, UK GDP, which tells you that actually Brexit already has cost England something, and that's about how much these trade things do. So the point is, I mean, guys, this is back to 2016. You have the job market telling you the truth, which is something may be depressing growth, but it's not enough to get people fired. Right. It'd be like us and Zach's learning that we're down 5% on our subscriptions this year. Right. You'd be like, well, that's not great, John. Right. But you and I are going to do a podcast in three months. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right? Yes. So how do should investors be looking at this then? Because the market, we're almost at the all-time highs again on the S&P 500 here. Yeah. So it And it's forward-looking. So what that's telling me is that it's not worried. No, this is it. I mean, the market's telling you 12 months ahead, we're going to be out of this. Yeah. And the market actually told you correctly that it tanked to December, so it did tell you there's a slowdown about six months ahead of us. So right. in truth, there will be a slowdown here sometime this summer. Okay. I've looked at DRAM prices for chips. They look terrible this morning. They do. So <laughs> yeah. again, you know, people say, that's terrible. Don't buy chip stocks. No, this has been known for a long time. The bottom's not in. Right. When that thing actually turns this summer, watch those stocks explode, right? Okay. So the, the market's getting it right. There's We're still on a slowdown. The tariffs haven't been listed in the U.S. trying to trade war, which is the main, right. main thing that can lift this market. Tariff lifting, not a trade deal, can come. If it happens in June or July, which is probably when it might might happen. Maybe May they're saying, but I doubt that's probably June or July. So then you can see that the market is betting on a global growth rebound. And that's what I think is happening. Okay. Are we ever going to get an inflation in the U.S.? Here's the, here's the latest um, strategist call that I think is appropriate, which is 2021. Okay. 2021, which is two years from now, okay. is when the Fed may have to tighten in the face of rising inflation. Okay. So the idea of a recession now that has most resonance and I have support is that because we're we're keeping rates low right now, because we're so late in the cycle and there is this strong economy, you can imagine not next year but the year after we get the Fed in a bad situation and they have to raise rates in a in face of actual inflation right. and that Higher right hiking in 2021 is what brings us into a very different recession than we've seen the last two times around. Right. A re- an okay. inflation-led recession. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that we'll keep an eye on that over the next two years then. Right. The so that, again, the, the number is not 2020. Right. It's 2021. So yeah. you and I can do plenty of podcasts. Right. <laughs> and we have plenty of situations where there's no recession. Right. And by the way, <laughs> it's I, I've made this point before with you, and I think you understand this now. You don't slide into recessions, you have to overheat and have excesses. Right. So we are not looking for weakness like we're talking about in global growth. We're looking for excesses. Right. And we've looked at that a couple times on the show. We we've talked about like the housing I thought maybe might come from all those apartment buildings that they're building in all the major cities. But that has cooled off. Like that that is no longer the hot thing. And they've been able to rent them all out. Uh, we did debate whether or not there was going to be enough demand for those apartments, but everybody was saying, oh, this is going to blow up. They're overbuilding. So far, that doesn't seem to be the case. So I don't know where where else could we be overheating. You're not really seeing it in anything else. No, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to understand that for the millennials, um, the gig economy and the short-term nature of jobs and tech firms has got them to the mindset, and also a lot of them lost money in the 08 crisis, that just rent. Yeah. So generationally, there's, there's, there's a, we know that the prices are depressed for these bigger homes in the suburbs. Right. Kids don't want to move out and pick up these big homes. They don't have the biggest family. They don't want to do the commutes, and the jobs aren't there. So it's starting to make sense to me that the apartment idea, the short-term rental idea, is matching with the job, structural job situation yeah. for people. And they're just feeling the comfort zone there, 
right? Yeah. So there may this may be what people are talking about in terms of a structural change, which is there are more apartments because there are more short-term gigs. There are more people who just simply do not want to get in a 10 or 20-year arrangement. Yeah. So they're just, they're just not doing it. Right. Okay. So anything else I should be thinking about for a possible, you know, blowing up situation? You know, I, I'm a big believer that currencies are worth paying attention to. Okay. So the one thing here is this Brexit thing is a big ball of yarn. And it's entirely possible that Brexit actually happens, that there's a hard Brexit in the next year or so. I don't think it's going to happen in the next three months or so, but it's entirely possible that, you know, you get a breakdown in, you know, the governance in the UK, there's a hard Brexit, um, and there's something like this in Europe that would cause a panic. Um, I still think Europe has got to be the main factor for contagion and worry about finance. I mean, the yuan and China is so heavily regulated. There's so many currency reserves behind it. There's so many opportunities for China to stimulate, you know, structurally and also cyclically. Mm-hmm. I worry about them. The Japanese, people have been worrying about their debt for 30 decades. Forever. So yeah. why, why is now any different? I don't think it is different. Okay. So that leaves us back with us, the U.S., um, and I, I, I simply do not think real estate is an investable vehicle right now. I don't think people – it's a seller's market, not a buyer's market. But um, I've yet to be convinced that it's going to take us down. Okay. What about on the commercial side uh, of real estate? There's been a lot of talk about that. Companies like Bank of the Ozarks, they've been lending all over the U.S. And they've just lended here again in Chicago. They're one of the bigger lenders here. Um, well, their bank OZK now is their t- their name. They're trying to get away from the Ozarks angle of it all. Um, but they just lended for a 76-story tower here in downtown Chicago, which will be a, like our sixth tallest building. And that's going to be apartments and partially condos with like a fitness center and like a big grocery store at the base. And so they don't seem too worried that they're not going to be able to fill that at this stage of the cycle. But should I, as an investor in stocks, be like not, um, you know, avoiding those? Like I've been avoiding Bank OCK for this reason because I don't trust necessarily what may develop. I don't know when there's a slowdown. They claim they're doing the underwriting and everything is fine. But um, even them or some of these commercial real estate REIT type of things should I be cautious on those areas? Yeah, Tracy, we, we have a Zach's number one ranked pick, CBRE, CB Richard Ellis. Um, number one ranked pick. Yeah, like one of those. What do right. I do? Right, so, you know, I want to make sure I throw a lot of cold water on CB Richard Ellis. Okay. Um, I am not putting it in the large cap trader. I do not want to buy this stock. They are holding the bag if there's a real estate collapse. They're okay. diversified across too many sectors. They cannot escape a downturn. And they have a ton of money on the table. And so, yeah, short-term buy is not the same as saying, gee, I'm going to hold this through the next cycle. Right, right. So right. the one to three-month term about this tells you that there's a lot of hurting. A lot of people are seeing strength in real estate. That's the excesses that we are worried about. Okay. So the one rank here is not what we want to see. Because people are getting bullish on real estate, that's the yeah. Look, I'll give you an example in my neighborhood in Los Angeles. You know, I have a 700 square foot grandmother's house in my neighborhood that I looked at. The cheapest, worst 
Okay. Most, most unremodeled house. Someone been in there for 30 years. Oh, wow. 700 square feet. Okay. How much did you pay for it, Tracy? I don't know. Where, where's your neighborhood? It's like one this of the hot Silicon ones, Beach. Right? Oh, you Silicon know, Beach. Snaps That's there, right. Venice, Maryland, um, right, right? This is for sale, not rent. Yeah, for, for sale. sale. I don't know, close to a million bucks, right? Yeah. It escrowed in two weeks at 920000 Wow. So what happens here is... Um, that's like a $4,600 a month payment without taxes, without doing a refinishing, without property, anything, anything, yeah. anything. With that old kitchen. With the old kitchen, <laughs> another hundred grand to deal right. with all this stuff. Yeah. So you say to yourself, what's the problem here? And what the problem isn't in the loan numbers. It's the problem is that someone as a broker put in someone in on a five-year, 5% down payment, which is 50 grand. They put them in an adjustable rate mortgage because that dropped a point off the interest rate. And they yeah. put them in what's called a balloon loan, which means they're going to get absolutely no equity out of the property for five or six years. And they're going to double down on the amount of the cost. So they're going to treat it like a $500,000 mortgage for five or six years. And they're going to treat it like a $1.5 million mortgage for 20. Yeah. Right? Wow. So what's going to happen is the whole thing baked into these details, just like an 08, is going to blow that person up. Right. Not right away. No. Not right away. And this is five what happens. Years. Because you buy with this much cheap money coming out of the Fed. Yeah. It was fine to buy that house three, four years ago for four or 500000 Right. But now someone, the bank, the person, whoever, is on the hook for a big number when this thing goes wrong. And by the way, going back to seven fifty is still too high. Yeah. And that's a hundred and fifty to hundred and eighty grand that this person's out. Or they're stuck in that house forever. Right. You say a starter home. Great idea for the starter home, right? Seven hundred square feet. <laughs> Think how small that is, Tracy. You could put some bunk beds in there. Right. So it's basically <laughs> absurd, right? Yeah. And this is what the excesses we are looking for, right? Yeah. yeah. So if CB Richard Ellis is in some securitized mortgage that includes this stupid house, I'm out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, okay, so CBRE is the ticker there. They are trading at 14 times. They're up 26% year-to-date. So hey, you know what? The momentum are traders are going to trade these things. I know. Yeah, I know. We've yeah. seen that so far. Uh, what what should we be looking to be in? Yeah, okay. So let's throw out three names that are global because okay. the China growth story is worth looking at. Fortescue Meadows. Yeah, I had never heard of this when you mentioned it. The ticker is F-S-U-G-Y. It's Australian, though. It's an Australian company. They make basically a metal iron ore is one of their plays. They're a Perth-based company. $12 or $13 share stock. Yeah. You've got the Valet story of the blow-up of the dams there. You've got the China growth story, which happens whether the trade cycle because they're going to stimulate through loans, several hundred billion. That's going to drive up a lot of these infrastructure things. So, again, this stock has been drifting high where the number yeah. one rank, and it's Australian, so they're China play. Now, another one I like, Shinetsu Chemical. Okay, I'd never heard of this one either. S-H-E-C-Y is the ticker. Shinetsu Chemical is interesting because they make the types of chemicals that go into silicon chips. Okay. So this is a chip stock, effectively. But again, if you like the idea that the Japanese capital goods makers are going to pick up the bid when the Chinese start to get things turned around here on a trade deal, this is a stock you should know about. Okay. And I had one other one, Tracy. These Arista Networks. Arista Networks, ANET. So ANET is, you know, very overpriced stock, and it's over 250 bucks. 34 times. 34 earnings. times earnings. So but. this is your typical momentum truck. Yeah. This one, if you want it, take it for four or five weeks. Okay. I, I don't like stocks like this, and I don't want to recommend them. But this is an example where the Zach's rank works, but it's not to be used outside of its context. 
But this okay. is a, this is showing us that there's still a lot of momentum stock picking in oh, the yeah. cloud computing space, and this is one of them. Um, so you got to look at it as an interesting play, but I personally think you're buying at the top here. This is another one where I'd be a seller, not a buyer. Okay. It's up 51% year-to-date, so yeah, it does crazy. have that momentum, like yeah. you said. And then somebody's going to make a 51% return just for unloading it, and that's what's going to start happening. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these real hot ones. Um, I have a couple like old-style stocks that I feel like people could be in. The United Technologies, that's been a real drag, a real laggard. UTX is the ticker there. It's only up 11% over the last five years versus 55% for the S&P 500. So it's really lagged. It does, um, it's fairly cheap, 16, 17 times, but they're the guys who own Carrier, Otis, Pratt & Whitney. Aren't they splitting up? I think they are too. Maybe that's why it's lagged because they have these great brands and I think they're trying to unlock some of the value for some of those. But I do like some of these older, the old school, like industrials and big even the transports, the railroads right now are super hot. Some of them are hitting all-time highs, but I'm a little more leery of those if if there is some kind of slowdown. Um, but you might want to do one of the ones that's not associated with Mexico right now. So I would stay away from maybe Kansas City Southern and Union Pacific, both of who are big into the Mexico trade. Normally, I like that trade. But right now, who knows what's happening right. <laughs> down on the border. So Norfolk Southern is another one that you might want to take a look at, ticker NSC there. Earnings expected to be up almost double digits this year and double digits next year for, for a railroad. That's That's kind of impressive. But if there's a bigger slowdown in the U.S. economy, some of these transports, especially the rails, I feel are gonna gonna pull back off on on that, those fears. But right now, it's not really happening. Norfolk Southern's trading about 19 times, so not super cheap here. But I kind of like the rails. What do you think about some of these old style? Yeah, type of I'm companies? with you on UTX. I I actually came up on one of my screens the other yeah. day as, as a good stock, so I'm I'm with you on that. The rails. I haven't studied a lot. They, they, you know, they got the Momo. The the patterns are pretty decent. I don't think you can lose money on the rails. Right. And I I think, you know, I think the trade war volumes are going to be pretty decent for these guys anyways. Um, You always have to transport. You always got to transport, and a lot of this is bulk stuff. Yeah. uh, Container stuff, auto stuff, ag stuff. It's hard to imagine they can have a competitor take their businesses. It's just they own that space. People try to tell me that the autonomous trucks will destroy the railroads. And I said, why? Because you can put a lot more on the back of a locomotive than just even one autonomous truck. That's it. I mean, no, the, it's basically the autonomous, cheaper. it is semi-autonomous. The idea of autonomy, like you're being cooler than anybody, <laughs> right. is is sort of irrelevant when you have one conductor and 55 right. car loads. Exactly. Right. So I don't see how that... No, it won't. It out. won't happen yeah. um, because it, gas prices. The fact that, by the way, you got to fix the autonomous truck, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it'll have right. Software upgrades. Ha- right. And, it's going to get know, flat tires flat too. Tires then what do you do? And, right. It's just out there on the mountain. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then you have the autonomous repair guy who doesn't show up for twenty years. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. I know we laugh, but um, someday we will get more autonomy. We should say. I don't. 
I think we're a ways away from completely autonomous trucks. Yeah, I'm I'm more of a believer that it'll creep in on like, you know, you're going to see autonomous, uh, you know, movement from an airport to a, a subway stop. Yeah. You're going to see autonomous, you know, down a, a, a five or 10 mile street that goes up and down like an old trolley car. Right. I think we're just going to begin on low, low hanging fruit with autonomy. Yeah. Where you have little dedicated lanes and there's a certain deal that you get on and it right. works. Yeah. It's like a semi subway, it's, but it's above grade. Yeah. And that I think is where we'll begin. And I think we will see deliveries that are, you know, just moving deliveries on that same kind of, okay, you want to go downtown LA to the, to the Santa Monica on a bus lane with an autonomous thing right. while the buses aren't running? Sure. Just put a bunch of stuff on there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even but, people, right? Right, right, for sure. But then once we learn how to work off the lines, then we'll move into these more. Uh, advanced. Ambig- advanced, ambiguous things where you park the thing or you go right. down the streets or turn. You have to drive through blizzards. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even figure out the rain yet. Apparently. Yeah, well, even like I've noticed, you know, that we, we were we're the home of these these crazy uh, scooters, right? And the right. scooter thing is becoming uh, much more modified. It's not as what you think. It's not actually busting open a lot. Okay. It's busting something open, but not a lot because it's just going to So it's change. not that disruptive is what you're saying? Yeah, well, I just don't think, you know, you find out, who will do it and what will they will do? And it just it takes longer to change the actual behavior of people than the opportunity that they can, you know, you can, oh, here's an opportunity for you and I are just stuck in our ways and we just don't get there for a while. Right, right. You know? Okay. So let's recap some of the stocks we talked about on this week's episode. Uh, we had Norfolk Southern, NSC, United Technologies, UTX, and then um, one you shouldn't be in is CB Richard Ellis, CBRE, even though it's his X number one, and uh, three other picks from John, Arista Networks, A-N-E-T is the ticker there for, how do you pronounce it, Fortuski? Fortescue. Fortescue. Fortescue, that's the Australian iron ore metal guys. That's F-S-U-G-Y. And Shinetsu, that's the chip chemicals out of Japan, S-H-E-C-Y. Some interesting names here you might not have heard before. So that's always good. That's what we try to bring you here on the Market Edge podcast. And as always, you want to subscribe so that you can be sure to get the next episode John and I do on whether or not we're in a recession or is it imminent. I'm sure it'll probably be in about three or four months, right, John? Um, I'll have you back on and we'll be discussing it again. But um, eventually, maybe our answer will change eventually. I don't know. This is the longest expansion in U.S. history, like post-World War II, right? Yeah. You know, guys, I'm, I'm still hoping Tracy's my A student here when we actually get a recession. Yeah. Uh, that'll be – I'll have a lot to learn when we get it. Yeah. yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. But it's gonna, inevitable. On this show, we're doing it with our system. Right. And you can't cheat me no. out of it. Tracy, no. you got to use the system. I am. I'm using the system. Yeah, so I, I, right I, now – Again, a reminder, we are not in a recession. That's it. (laughs) Uh, But be sure to subscribe so that you're getting all of our podcasts. You can get them on Apple Podcasts. We're on SoundCloud. And we're on Spotify now. But get us somewhere so you don't miss a single episode. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. 
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.